Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus Financials Edition. We thought we'd change up the show and do a theme week in conjunction with the other sectors. So get excited for Dividend Week at Industry Focus. Tune into each of our episodes this week to hear what all the IF contributors think about dividends in their different sectors. So I'm just going to dive right into it. Um, we thought since this was the first show of the week, we would do a, a quick little, what is a dividend stock? Three things you should look for in a dividend stock. Um, Maxfield, what is a dividend stock? I mean, a dividend stock, I mean, a lot of investors will probably be like, why are you guys covering such a basic thing? Well, the important thing to realize is that not everybody's at the same level of investing. And so when you're talking about dividend stocks in particular, there's a, there's a couple different times, types of stocks, right? There's like gross stocks that like, you know, Tesla uh, companies um, that are, you know, 3D systems, other companies that are quickly growing. And then there are, there are income stocks that they're not growing as quickly. They're more mature. But what they do as opposed to taking the money that they earn and reinvesting that back into the business, they distribute that money to shareholders each quarter via dividends. And so, you know, you could get like a, you know, buy a stock and get, you know, for a hundred bucks and say, get, you know, $2 in dividends a year. And so that's what dividend stocks are. Right. Um, and I just want to point out that just because companies are paying out dividends doesn't necessarily mean that they're not investing in themselves. Um, one of the things that you, there's three things you want to look at when you look at dividend stocks, the dividend yield, the payout ratio and the growth ratio. And the payout ratio, it tells you how much of a company's earnings are paid out as dividends. This is going to be expressed as a percentage. Um, generally, you want them to be below 100. If it's 100, that's like DEFCON 1, because that means they're paying out more then they make in dividends, and that's that's not good for anyone, right? Because you need that money. So, and and, and let's just break the, each of these kind of these metrics down. So, if you're a dividend investor, right, and you're out looking for a great dividend stock, there are three metrics that you start with. The first is the dividend yield, and what that is, that is the annual dividend distribution divided by the share price. So, let's say again, let's say you buy a share or a, a, a stock that is a hundred bucks a share. It pays $2 a year in dividends, so $0.50 cents a quarter in dividends. That means that 2 divided by 100 would be 2%. So that's a dividend yield. And ideally, right, you know, all else equal, a higher dividend yield is better for income investors than a lower dividend yield. But there are exceptions to this, and Gabby just mentioned one. So the second metric you want to look at is the dividend payout ratio. right? And so the question is, the dividend payout ratio, again, to Gabby's point, what it does is it is a percent and it expresses the percent of earnings, of a company's earnings, that it distributes to shareholders via dividends. Now, as a general rule, you want to see this in the you know, like 30, 40, 50% range, because that means that not only is it a, probably a sustainable dividend, so even if, even if you know, the company's earnings go down a little bit, it'll still be able to support its dividend, but also because it shows that there will be an opportunity for dividend growth. Of course, so, you know, certain companies, though, are legally required to pay more dividends. Um, the classic example are REITs, which are real estate investment trusts. Exactly. So, so, and, and so the size of that payout ratio isn't set across companies, like what is and what is not an appropriate payout ratio. So you have mortgage REITs, other types of REITs, other types of companies that in order to get spe- like very special tax treatment, so you have pass-through tax treatment, so you're not taxed at the corporate entity, you're just taxed at the investor entity, in order to qualify for that, in many instances, for these specific types of companies, they have to distribute at least 90% of their taxable income. Right, to their, so you're going to have companies that just pay out a lot of money. And then the other thing to keep in mind 
is that you also have companies like AT&T and Verizon, right, who these companies pay out a huge portion of their earnings and shareholders, sometimes even exceeding 100%. But what's important to take into consideration with telecom stocks and other stocks like that is that when you have companies that have a ton of depreciation from massive capital investments, that will decrease your net income, but you'll still have a lot of cash flow to fund your dividends. So in that situation, and this is kind of a more of a, a, a nuanced technique, but in that situation, what you want to look at is a dividend payout ratio that, that uses not the net income as the denominator, but rather a company's free cash flow. So that's that second piece, that dividend payout ratio. And then the third piece that Gabby brought up is simply looking at how the much- growth has, rate, by the way. Exactly. Sorry, did you not? <laughs> you didn't point it out. Yeah, just in case people got lost in the explanation of dividend yield and payout ratio, we're talking about the growth rate now. Yeah, and did, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to, wanted to kind of talk about before I kind of chimed in with my own two cents on that or? No, no, you go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, basically, I mean, and this is just really basic, right? I mean, when you buy a stock, you want your investment to grow over time. That's why you buy stocks, right? For that compound annual growth rate over time. And so, you know, you, you apply the same philosophy to your dividend. You look at companies and you say, look, if I buy a share today, it's 100 bucks, and it's paying out $2 a year a share in dividend. But let's say their earnings are growing at 10% a clip. Well, in 10 years, what's, you know, and, and they're going to grow their dividend along with that, so they're going to maintain their payout ratio. What is that dividend going to look like in 10 years? Is that, maybe it'll be 10 bucks a share, right? So you want to keep that in mind. And really, the, the best way that you can gauge that, besides looking at the dividend payout ratio, is just looking at, this com- at the company's history of dividend increases. If they, their executives have proven that they are committed to returning capital to shareholders, that should come through in the numbers over time, and it probably should project into the future. Yeah, I do want to say one thing about the growth rate. Um, Every once in a while, you'll have a company drop their dividend ratio, um, and that can happen for a number of reasons. One, maybe the company is in trouble. But two, maybe the company is expanding and they need that extra money to to buy whatever other company they're going to buy or to invest in themselves. So a company dropping its dividend ratio isn't necessarily a time to panic. You just have to do your research and figure out exactly why they're dropping it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, as a general rule... It's be- you should assume it's bad when a company decreases or uh, eliminates its dividend as a general rule. However, there are certainly many exceptions to that. And the only way you'll know in any particular situation when, you know, when a company that you're invested in drops its dividend, whether or not that falls under the general rule of the exception, is, to Gabby's point, to really dig into the details of uh, the explanation behind that, that drop or, or that reduction or that, or that uh, elimination of a dividend. Right. So I'm sure you're all asking yourselves now, what role should dividend stocks play in my portfolio? Because that's what everyone's thinking right now. Um, <laughs> uh, our more experienced investors probably know that as you get older, you're probably going to want to shift your um, portfolio focus to more uh, steady stocks. That typically means stocks with dividends. Those companies are established. They can afford to pay out the dividends. These are the type of people that we call income investors. Right. And, and if you think about kind of the arc of a life of an investor... When you are young and just starting to invest, you're going to want to look for things that will benefit you over many, many decades and have the opportunity to compound at a fast rate over many decades. And these are your your growth stocks, right? On the other side of the arc, we are approaching retirement. You're going to to stop working. You're going to go into kind of your golden years, right? So what you're going to need there is you're going to need something to pick up and to take the place of 
your foregone income. And that's where things like Social Security come in, you know, your 401k, things like that. But dividend stocks play a central role in that because they provide that income that you'll be looking for in retirement. So when you're thinking about dividend stocks, there's, there, you know, there's kind of two things to, to take in mind. First, they replace that income for you going into retirement. And the second thing is that as a general rule, dividend stocks t- tend to be more mature and stable businesses and therefore more stable additions to your portfolio. So when you're in retirement, it's not going to be going all over the place and, and making you worried about whether or not you're going to be able to cover your bills uh, over the next year. Exactly. Um, I know that you said that you had a, a good dividend stock that you wanted to share with our listeners, something that they should consider adding to their portfolio. Yeah, well, I mean, when you think about good dividend stocks, really what you're thinking about are, are, are the best companies that you can invest in, right? Because you're talking about tapping into an earnings stream and, and even more importantly, tapping into a growing earnings stream. So you need a company that is stable, that you believe their earnings will grow, and that their executives have demonstrated a commitment to returning some of that capital to shareholders as, you know, via dividends. And so when I think of companies like that, and, I, and people who listen to this show regularly know that you know, I'm, a, I, I'm a bank analyst, so I, I really focus on, on the banking and financial sector. So when I think of companies, I think of the greatest banks. So I'm thinking about your Wells Fargo's and your U.S. Bancors, your J.P. Morgan Chase's. All three of those banks have reasonable payout ratios in your, the roughly 30% range. All three of those banks have proven themselves through multiple decades, multiple credit cycles, that they can generate earnings consistently. All three of those banks have proven that their earnings grow consistently over time as they take over market share of their, uh, of their less healed, their, 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 their less well-run competitors. And so you have all of those things factoring into this huge and growing income stream that is pushing out to shareholders. So when I'm thinking about a great dividend stock in the banking sector, which is what I cover, those are the three companies that come immediately to mind. Right. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, REITs now, because REITs are the other big financial stock that, that pays out dividends. And like we mentioned before, they're required by law to pay out 90% of their income in dividends. Specifically, we're going to be talking about mortgage REITs, which we will refer to as M REITs probably for the rest of this show, because mortgage REITs is a little bit of a mouthful. Um, mortgage REIT. They um, buy mortgage-backed securities, and they do you want to talk about this? I'm sorry. Yeah. So, so <laughs> having a, 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 a REIT <laughs> is that's an acronym for Real Estate Investment Trust, R-E-I-T. And the, what real estate investment trusts are, these are trusts like what you think about as a trust. It's a legal entity that owns real estate related assets. Well, Congress multiple decades ago sat back and said, look, if we want to encourage investment into real estate and things like that, Let's, let's, have these, let's have these trusts set up in a way that people can put money into them and that whatever money is earned from those will not be taxed at the corporate level so long as not, at least 90% of the taxable income automatically flows through to the shareholders via dividends, right? And so that's where that high payout ratio that we talked about earlier comes in. Well, mortgage REITs are a very specific type of a real estate investment trust because as opposed to buying into real estate assets themselves, you know, you're, you're actually buying land or buildings, they buy mortgage-backed securities and, and, and more, particular, more specifically, as a general rule, 
agency mortgage-backed securities. So these are issued by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, and they're backed by the full faith and credit of the, the United States government. So they're basically the same as buying treasury certificates. And so what mortgage REITs do is they will go out and borrow a whole bunch of money in the short-term credit markets, so your repo markets, um, your commercial paper markets, stuff like that, where the interest rates are really low, and then they'll invest that money into agency mortgage-backed securities where the interest rates are higher. And then they, they profit on the spread between the cost of funds and what they're yielding on their assets. And so that's how mortgage REITs make money and are able to have, at least historically, have had such large dividends throughout the years. All right. I just want to put out a quick disclaimer um, before we go forward. Uh, MREITs have made some people a lot of money in the last 10 years, but the wise investor is going to really want to take a good, long, hard look at any kind of MREIT before buying stock. It's already kind of a chancy area to invest in because you're betting on the spread of interest rates. Um, and sometimes MREIT's business practices are not always on the up and up. Specifically, you're definitely going to want to look at any MREIT that's buying mortgage-backed, secu- mortgage-backed securities that are not agency-secured. That's just super, super risky. Yeah, I mean, so I'd be a little bit more nuanced on that, on that, on that latter warning. But what I would say is, is this. The more, in my opinion, anyways, the mortgage REIT trade, and we've had a number of companies that really focused in mortgage REITs as opposed to being a real estate investment trust that focuses in, in mortgage REITs as just one component and then others, other types of real estate. For the pure mortgage REITs, that trade, that investment, it does not look to be very optimistic going forward, and there are two reasons for that. The first is that because, so if you go back to the early 1980s when we had rapid inflation, the Federal Reserve brought interest rates way, way up to slow down that inflation. So they brought them up into like the 18 to 20% range, even for really short-term rates. And then ever since then, interest rates have been going down. Well, one of the consequences of falling interest rates are that on the other side of that, fixed, the value of fixed income investments, which mortgage-backed securities are a fixed income investment, the value of those increases as interest rates go down. So, you know, you have like, let's say, Annaly Capital Management or American Capital Agency. You know, you have these companies that are sitting on these, you know, tens of billions of dollars worth of mortgage-backed securities, i.e. fixed income securities, as these interest rates have been coming down. So those values have just consistently been going up over the years. Well, interest rates are now plateauing around the 0% rate, right? So you cannot, you can't look at a mortgage REIT's past and look into the future and think like, oh, like that, that, that's what their business is going to look like in the future because interest rates are, they're not, we're just not going to see those short-term interest rates go up to 20% again anytime soon. I mean, it's hard to envision a scenario under which that would be, under which that would be the case. So you're going to have that benefit coming away from the mortgage REIT. And the other benefit that you have coming away from the mortgage REIT is that where they really, really made a ton of money over the past couple decades, they've done well over the past couple decades, but where they really, really killed it was during the financial crisis when the Federal Reserve dropped interest rates to near 0% relatively quickly, but higher interest, the longer-term interest rates took longer to adjust downwards. So that spread was really wide for a time period, and that's why a company like Annaly Capital Management was so popular and did so well during the financial crisis. Well, now, again, you have interest rates, both long- and short-term interest rates, compressed right above 0%. So you're, got, you're just not going to have the size of the spread. It was, it was literally a once-in-multiple-generations type of thing that made mortgage rates so profitable over the past couple decades. That, in my opinion, is now gone. 
Absolutely. Um, I I don't know if listeners out there are wondering where the long-term interest rates are set. Those kind of follow um, the short-term interest rates. It just takes them longer to adjust because they're obviously long-term. So, say you bought a house pre-financial crisis, um, you probably had a mortgage with a, a pretty high rate. That's why a lot of people ended up having to default during the during the um, financial crisis. Um, now that has evened out. You can buy a house for significant with significantly lower interest rates on your loans now than you could before. Yeah. Anybody who's thinking about buying a house, keep this in perspective. Over the last 30 years, the average interest rate on a conventional 30-year mortgage has been something like 8.5%. Right now, it's I, I don't know exactly what it is, but right now it's something like 3.8%. I mean, yeah, it's you're looking low. at historically low interest rates. And then when you factor in the, into the equation that eventually... Presumably, you'll have some inflation come back into the equation. So that will work against that. So let's say we get 2% inflation, and you're paying 3.8% in your mortgage. You're basically paying 1.8% to borrow money. I mean, it's just ridiculously cheap right now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we should probably talk a little bit about what M rates are going to do in the future. Um, the one that comes to mind is probably Annaly Capital. They were kind of the, the first, and they're still the biggest um, M rate out there. Um, but what you're seeing in order to that they're doing that in order to cushion themselves for what they know is probably going to be a lean season for them is that they're starting to move over into commercial real estate. Right. Yeah. And, and so you have here's basically like this is the dominant player in the industry that a couple of years ago has started to diversify away from that pure mortgage rate business model that did so well for it for so long. If that shouldn't be assigned to investors then I don't know what is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of how in the tech industry, when Apple does something, everyone kind of looks to it and says, you know what, Like maybe maybe we should start thinking about doing that too. Yeah. And, and, and let me be clear. There are a lot of people who go around and think that Annaly Capital Management's management is you know, so brilliant because they've done so well over the decades. Um, I have a tendency to think that they were just there at the right, they were just, you know, in the right place at the right time. It was more luck than anything else is what's kind of behind their success. Um, but that being said, they are the industry leader. So if you want to kind of, you know, divine the future of the industry and the kind of the trends that we're going to see going forward, Annalie is certainly at the cutting edge. Absolutely. Um, okay, that's pretty much all the time we have. So before we wrap up, I want to let everyone know that as part of Dividend Week, we've put up a free web page that has a selection of dividend stocks that the contributors of Industry Focus are interested in. Um, it is at dividends.fool.com. So go take a look. Again, that's dividends, plural, with an S.fool.com. I was told to really enunciate the word dividends with an S, so I hope you all got that. Anyway, thanks for joining us. I hope that you like this week's episode. Write to us at industryfocus at fool.com to let us know what you think or send us cat pictures. As usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks very much, and we'll see you all next week. 